0: hi christy hello been a while has not it we made it so many things have happened it's been it's been a grip um we tried really hard yeah multiple times we 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 aim to like do this like every couple of weeks but sometimes life happens and you know no one's paying us to do this so word Fuck, (laughs) fuck, fuck you guys
1: no we love you Whoever you are. Um, but you know what? I was thinking about it. it
0: <laughs> That's right, Christy. Run Damage Control.
1: <laughs> I was thinking about it, though. And it's actually kind of cool because we took so long. Not on purpose. But now,
0: I'm pretty sure you've read all the books yeah. in, <laughs>
1: yeah, cause, in the Broken Earth trilogy. That well, was you, the first one I suggested. Yeah,
0: because uh, Christy recommended me a book. It was the first book in a trilogy. And uh, we've had so much time. I've actually read the whole trilogy. So... And we've had so much time that they announced the new raccoons <laughs> special. So it's been that long. It's, we've timed it perfectly, we, honest We, we took so, we took so long it looped back <laughs> ra- back around to the 1980s. Back
1: in fashion.
0: Dig out your high waisted jeans. Um, <laughs> yep. Like speaking of the 1980s a thing that was a like, a thing that like apparently a thing that people did when i was a kid was because i remember um hearing about my auntie doing this is that before the invention of skinny jeans people would buy regular jeans and then wear them and then get into the bath so that they would shrink huh. is that like a, is that like a real thing or is my family bullshitting me again is this like i, I have carrots no will idea. make you see in the dark like like that kind of horseshit? I don't know. I feel like that would work with jeans, but I don't I have no idea. <laughs> uh right. So, the show that we do Yeah. Um <laughs> I'll go first. So, uh Christy, what you recommended for me was The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin, which is a fantasy mm. novel. It's the first book in the Broken Earth trilogy, which I have now read <laughs> in its entirety. Yeah. Um it's a it's in a world, you know, like they say in the trailers for movies. In a world. In a world. Um, This this is a world where every so often, and this is really the only way I've I've sort of come up with to really sort of effectively communicate the the scenario. Every so often the climate gets what I believe um, meteorologists and geologists would refer to as completely fucked. (laughs) i
1: think that's the scientific term
0: yeah yeah it's just they they you know every so often they the world undergoes what they call a fifth season there's you know spring summer autumn winter and then occasionally there's a fifth season which is when the climate goes all to hell and there's volcanoes and earthquakes and all manner of such goings on little little mini apocalypse essentially yeah it's it's a post-apocalyptic world where the apocalypse keeps happening every so often (laughs) Um, mini boss apocalypse yeah it's like a boss rush of apocalypses (laughs) and there are people in this world called and i think this the pronunciation that we decided on was origins that's what i've been saying but you know never heard it said Um, out loud really so (laughs) and based sort of bare bones what they can do is they can sense and manipulate you know like seismic forces and yeah, you know, rock and and stuff. They like draw, they sort of draw on the world, and it sort of creates like ice and stuff around them. Because I think that it's like you know, like they're like drawing heat, and, like ambient heat from the world in order to like shove rocks around, rock and, around, that, yeah. yeah, stuff like that. And uh, NK Jemisin, uh the author, is a like multi award winning, um, fancy <laughs> author. I think she mentions in the back that the book was written. She went, she went to a thing that like at NASA. She went to, um, a thing called Launchpad, which was a NASA funded workshop for, um, science fiction and fantasy writers to sort of, it was like a, kind of like an outreach thing to sort of communicate scientific ideas to the people who often present scientific ideas to the public in the forms of like science fiction and fantasy. And, you know, N.K. jemison sort of went away and then wrote a book about earthquake wizards. So <laughs> she does apologize, I, I think, wait. for it, um... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Uh yeah. And um it's kinda the the, the situation is such that um origins are sort of hated and feared by non origins, by you know, what the the people that in this society would be considered quote unquote normal. you your baseline humans essentially. Yeah, a bit of an X Men situation. Yeah, happening uh, there. See, that's a, when I was th- thinking about pronunciation. It's like they're called origins, but there's a pejorative term for them, which is Rogger. Yeah, which I was sort of in my head pronouncing with the with the hard G because there's two of them, and it's like, so is it origins? That doesn't sound right. I
1: mean... Um, I kicked it around in my head a few different ways and I mostly only came to saying orogenes because yeah. I had to say it out
0: loud. Yeah. So <laughs> you know what I mean? Be be fully aware that anything we pronounce in this book is like is our best guess and could be completely wrong. So We're trying. Cavi caveat emptor. We don't actually know what we're talking about. Just to sort of talk about the first book, I don't wanna kind of I want to sort of be very careful about how we talk about it because I was
1: just going to say we kind of actually I, after we recorded our first one I was so proud. I was like I did a I suggested that the greatest book <laughs> and then I only then
0: was I like and we can't talk about the best part. <laughs> yeah. Um the book does uh, the book does some, something very like very cool. No spoilers. Yeah, but the book does something very interesting structurally, and that's kind of all I want to say about it. Because to you know to to reveal yeah. to someone ahead of time and like and deprive them of the experience of reading the book themselves and coming to that's the, like, the realization <laughs> it it was you know practically a sin. So. It, yeah, you know, and and on one level, yeah, that's going to massively hamper how we talk about the book. But on the other hand, if you read the book, which you absolutely should do, you will thank us for not spoiling it. I think um, we can manage. It can be done. Also, we can edit
1: if we mess. <laughs> yeah, so, we do. Yeah. Okay, um, and we're going to try to focus on the
0: first book, even though you've gone on. And <laughs> <laughs> yes. Finishing the complete. I, like, wonderful. I was. I mean, I love you, Christy, but I wasn't going to wait. <laughs> That's fine. I was already familiar with some of N.K. Jemisin's work. I'd read the Inheritance Trilogy. They've, You know, the the stories are very, very different, both in terms of the world and in terms of yeah the structure in which they're told. But there's also, you know, similarities. There. The story does, you know, it does very interesting things structurally. Um, there are certain themes which I think carry over, you know, so like themes that I recognise from the Inheritance Trilogy. I've sort of recognised you know similar like variations on the same theme in the broken earth and the fifth season and one of those things sort of to not get sort of too much too too, like too sidetracked by the Inheritance trilogy but um one of like the main themes i think in the broken earth is people being bestowed a sense of value based on their utility
1: absolutely yeah
0: Uh, A a friend of ours accidentally created a meme because uh, one one Christmas there was sort of like a discussion about the song and subsequent movie, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And um, people were sort of talking about it and how it's kind of messed up that, you know, Rudolph was was treated like shit until... They found use for his name. Yeah, until Santa needed a headlight. And the way that Maggie phrased it was something like, Variance from the norm will be punished unless it is exploitable. And if that doesn't sum up the world of the Broken Earth, then I I don't know what does. That seems like, you know, uh, as we mentioned, there are these uh, people with the ability to sort of kind of like directly interface with geological and seismic forces. And they are sort of, they're, they're kind of like treated the way that, say, you know, people suspected of witchcraft would be treated in like medieval europe and stuff often what happens is they're sort of dis- if they're discovered as children they'll be taken away by these people called guardians and they'll be taken to a place called the fulcrum which is kind of in terms of its like organization it's like a school but it's actually kind of more like a, a prison slash yeah. training camp to basically teach them to become like they basically they teach them to use their sort of origin powers so that they can then sort of be, like, hired out to what they call comms, which I think is supposed to be short for, like, commune or community, which is, like, it's yeah. it's essentially an equivalent to the word, like, to our, what we would understand as, like, a town.
1: Yeah, but they're walled in and really structured because yeah. Cause, uh apocalypse, any moment type of
0: <laughs> setting uh, they live in. is like, because so much happens during a fifth season, like, animals that are usually, like, like herbivorous and benign even to the point where they can be kept as pets like during the fifth season something sort of they undergo some kind of like behavioral shift survival and, yeah yeah and you know animals that had been herbivores will suddenly become you know very like carnivorous and aggressive and there's also like you know what they call comless, who people who aren't attached to uh, a community who are often sort of have to try and survive as um bandits so if you're a member of a com, you're essentially like your surname is the name of the comm. It shows that you belong to it. And times when it isn't a fifth season, if someone is in a com and they don't have the com name as part of their name, the sort of implication is that if it kicks off, then they're booted. You're out. Sorry. Yeah.
1: Um, and it, it ties into what you were saying that, it's to the point where people's utility is a part of their identity like what your job is becomes your name it's
0: not just a title it's how people address you and know you as yeah so that's really interesting um the, the in the society that they have there is like a very very like rigid uh, caste system there's strongback was it strongback resistance yes so a uh, strongback resistance breeder. breeder there's uh, one more what's the clever one
1: Ah. oh um it's like engine engineer or dang it i don't remember
0: one thing that i really like about nk jemisin's books is they always have a glossary that's true let's see um (laughs) i like that there's just there's an entry in the in in the glossary for bastard Uh, innovator that was it that's it so i thought it had a kind of a video game uh yeah so title to that one strong back resistant breeder innovator and leadership that's right those are the most common ones other ones sort of do come up later but what is Jermaine to the first book the fifth season um, those are the, like the main ones that are sort of come across and like each, and each of those casts serve, you know essentially serves a purpose to a calm like you know leadership is self-explanatory I guess that they're kind of like analogous to aristocracy in the bigger cities yeah yeah and you know, if you're in the leadership cast, then you're in charge. It's it's like how, say like, you know, in Britain, like there are certain people, there are certain family names that denote political and, you know, economic power. just based on the fact that all the commoner surnames would be Anglo-Saxon and all the uh, like upper class surnames would be like Norman French. So, <laughs> it, it, you know, and even to this day, there's, there's some of that. So it's a little bit like that in the fifth season where it's like, you know, so the, lead- the leadership cast is given leadership roles in comms. And then there's like innovators who are the inventors. They're like yeah. scientists. They're like the boffins. they <laughs> they they do all like the clever stuff. They're the ones who go to the university and they they learn like the sciences and the humanities and
1: the ones I thought that was most interesting is the resistance. Because that's just people who are healthy.
0: <laughs> they're good at being sick. They're good <laughs> like they're good they're good at not dying.
1: <laughs> yeah, like that's their main qualities they got very, a good set of genes and lungs
0: they're, they're very experienced at not dying uh there's also the breeder cast yes. which is basically essentially people whose job it is to ensure the continuation of the species um, it's like it underwrites civilization by like during a fifth season their job will be to either make some you know make someone pregnant or become pregnant you know to make sure that there are still humans around that you know it basically that it, it keeps an in an intake of people into society because most people have i don't think it's even like a 50 50 chance of surviving a fifth season yeah it's you know fifth seasons are very dangerous and they often have very high death tolls so <laughs> there's like a whole order of people whose job it is to just make more people
1: and that's their name
0: <laughs> yeah it's kind of one, I don't I like one of the things. Can't that... stress that enough. They're like, "Hi, I'm I'm Christy Breeder." You're like, "Okay." <laughs> it, it's cool. one of those things. It one of the things that kind of really reminded me of was, you know, those like almost like the Sims, but like you know, like like management, <laughs> yeah. like management Sims. It's stuff like 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 theme park tycoon, where you have to have like different units, you do different things, and you have to like assign them all. And you do have to balance it out, stuff. or yeah, yeah. It's it 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 reminded me a little bit of that it's like it's this like huge balancing act, and you have to you know, and it's like on a sort of societal scale. And as you read the books, you find that humans came this way through much trial and error. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and they've of... collected these roles as different seasons have different problems and tributes or things to overcome because each season has its own name and its own kind of theme <laughs> mm. based on what happens whatever the you know terrible event is and how that event affects society and then society kind of pulls in like hey guess what we need to do this resistance thing now because we just had this bad apocalypse (laughs) where we all got really really sick and (laughs) we need to probably work on that so i thought Uh, that was really really well done and it's one of those things in the story that it's not like out front it gives you a bunch of history like it's not lord of the rings right where it's like here's seven pages of history it's just through dialogue and just repeated
0: Hmm. you know reference. Well, one one thing that, N- that N.K. Jemisin is really, really good at in our books is world building through like... Oh my god. Di- <laughs> through like diegetic sources. Like, for instance, like every chapter in the fifth season ends with um an excerpt from an in-universe document and sort of over time that will like build, you know, you'll be able to like piece, like with every chapter, you sort of piece together more of the world and things in the book previously that you hadn't understood you now have a better understanding of and um one thing that i found really interesting was the cast system kind of it kind of like arose from pragmatism but over time kind of became like ritualized almost yes like like one of the castes is called the strong backs and they're basically like they're they're kind of like the working class they're like <laughs> they're like the proletariat, they're the ones who actually do everything, you know, they do the lifting and carrying and, you know, they dig the drainage ditches and like, fight on the walls and forge weapons and, and you know, make it, stuff. It, it comes from a, you know, they do have like a document, I can't remember what it's called, but they've got like, what something that is like, you know, has become almost it was kind of like, if it's like a survival manual became a religious text almost, in a sense, mm. um, And one of the things it says, you know, during during a fit season, you know, gather people in a community and have strong backs to protect them all. And sort of over time, this, like, cast of people called strong backs, you know, and that's kind of and they're kind, I I kind of suspect that this is supposed to be intentional but they are, in a sense, the most, one of the most essential groups in this cast system. But they're kind of also, like, at the bottom. It's like, it's almost like you know it goes like you know strong back and then calmless. You know that was kind yeah. Of... And then they're... after that, it's origins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who during a season, by the way, just are left to die, <laughs> even
1: don't... though
0: they're probably the most useful. I don't even know if it if it is like they are left to die. I got the impression that they're you know during a fifth season they're like actively just killed. Oh yeah, that's true. Too. You know, so that that again that sort of like feeds into people's utility if you just see people in terms of their utility what happens when a scenario comes up where that utility is gone and that sort of really you know resonated with me so as someone who's disabled a lot of the time sort of discourse around disabled people a lot of it boils down to you know to like the utility of disabled people it's better like how how can we do things that will allow disabled people to also hurl their bodies into the the grinding jaws of capitalism you know it's yeah. like it, a lot of it comes down to you know oh we should do this not because it really benefits disabled people but it, it allows the labor of disabled people to become exploitable and it was that was kind of something that was at the forefront of my mind just in terms of like how my experiences have influenced how I reacted to the story. A lot of this, like a lot of the feelings that I'm having because of the story, are very, very similar to feelings that I've had trying to subsist under capitalism as a disabled person for years. Yeah, absolutely, and it and then it all ties into other things too. So, what if you're a breeder and
1: uh, you don't like guys? <laughs> like, what do you <laughs> you you're gonna have to just kind of if you want to stay in the calm, you're going to breed, yeah. you know, regardless of whatever your sexuality is. It's, it's and more, so it, it makes everyone
0: kind of complacent. And... There's often, you know, institutional lack of bodily autonomy. Yeah. Um, um, a good, like one of the sort of the like forefront example of this is um, the bu- the book is kind of structured in that it follows three characters. One's a young girl, one's a young woman, and one's just like the older woman. And the young woman is... Fuck, I can't remember
1: her name. Um, so the child is Dayama. Cyanite yeah. is the... Cyanite, that's it, yeah. Yeah.
0: And known um, as, as the older woman. Uh, Cyanite is... She's the young woman, and she's uh, an, like, imperial origin. Is that the... T- no, um, she's a fulcrum origin. So she's, yep. like, undergoing her, like, training and stuff. And she gets partnered with one of her superiors, who's a guy called Alabaster. And, um... Origins are ranked by how many rings they have, which sort of shows their facility with orogeny. And uh, Alabaster has ten rings, and you kind of get the impression that he's only got ten because that's the you know the it, limit. Yeah, it's either that or he starts putting rings on his toes. Um, <laughs> and they have to that they it's a you know it, it was very much like a kind of buddy cop thing where there's like the it rookie is. and there's the, you know. Their
1: storyline's kind of like a detective. uh...
0: The the grizzled, like, world-weary veteran is, like, partnered with the Rookie, except also the department requires them to engage in sexual intercourse together. Yeah. Which is, like, yeah, one of the, you know, duties of Fulcrum Origins is to essentially, like, produce more Origins. So they are required to sleep with each other, even though Cyanite doesn't really want to sleep with Alabaster because he's very very annoying. Um, he's you know he's he's very like scratchy and acerbic. Alabaster doesn't want to sleep with Cyanite mostly because I think he's gay. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's the big one. Yeah. But they both have to they both have <laughs> to do it, and it's very kind of you know, it, it's you know as as it can't help but be. It's very very awkward, and it's often you know <laughs> it's, it doesn't help help them endure themselves to each other either yeah we, you know we've all had co-workers that we don't get on with but you know imagine you also have to sleep <laughs> with that person it's it's like you oh. know yeah it's that kind of thing where it's like so many so many people in the world of the broken earth don't you know they they don't have bodily autonomy they're not you know they don't have that sort of degree of control over just you know their own bodies you know whether they're like in the breeder cast or you know or whatever or in a fulcrum origin and they have to try and produce more origins and stuff. So it it, it is. It's got this you know that the thing of of the of the three storylines in the book that was my favorite one. That was the one that I was sort of <laughs> I was always like most pleased to you know to come back to. Uh, not that like the rest of the book was was boring or anything. It was it was equally you know it it it's kind of like three books in one because it's following three. Like three different stories in the same world of three very different experiences. Yeah, um, it's
1: it's um it's fun to kind of you you do you get into one storyline then you leave it and you're like ah and then you realize what storyline you're now in and you're like yay <laughs> I can catch up with these guys see what they're doing
0: <laughs> my favorite's uh storyline the older angry sarcastic <laughs> yeah um later Esun's uh, storyline is the one that actually follows kind of what happens during a fifth season because a fifth you know at the start of her story a fifth season kicks off and um one of the results of it is that she essentially she comes home and she finds that her husband has killed their infant son because he's realized that he's an origin and he's disappeared and he's taken her daughter He's taken sorry. He's taken their daughter with him, and her daughter is also an art routine. So she has to kind of like you know. There's a fifth season, and she's in a calm, but she has to leave it. So she's in a safe place, the kind of place that you're supposed to want to be in during a fifth season, and she has to sort of put herself in the position of being in danger and having she chooses to, to leave. Yeah, yeah, which and, is disastrous. <laughs> and uh, all 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 three of the people that all, all three of the characters that the the story follows um is an origin and it shows the different experiences that say, you know, a child who has orogeny w- and it's discovered, and then it shows you what a fulcrum origin well, you know, what the life of a of a young fulcrum origin is like, and then it shows you what, you know, an older person who's out like out in the world and doesn't have the protection of being you know, like the quote like a quote unquote protection, because it's very like this, that prejudice doesn't go away it's still there but essentially someone who doesn't have the protections of utility they're essentially ai uh, can't remember what i think the term that is used for it is you know if if an origin isn't part of the fulcrum they're referred to as a feral origin yeah and they're basically treated as a threat they don't um, they are
1: not wearing the the colors of the fulcrum and then recognized as you know they don't have rings on
0: then you're yeah. just some the- feral animal that it's fair game to do whatever you want to. Yeah. So uh Esson has to she has to deal with those challenges and also the challenge of the world blowing up. Um and trying to find her daughter yeah. and her husband. It's a thing that you often ha- have in apocalyptic stories is there will be a character and you'll you know, you'll relate to them through what they have to do. And often it is something that is personal rot during an apocalyptic event. Finding a family member and uh Essen's storyline is all about that and I you know I like all of the protagonists in the book cyanite's my favorite, but I also do like demaya who's the child and Essen who's the older woman and I, I you know I did like the fact that she, like F, like because of the life that she's lived Essen is just completely done she's just, fuck, <laughs> she's just fuck it she she's very ruthless she, she doesn't know, really
1: talk unless she Someone's talking to her. Yeah, if the if situation help
0: out if the situation requires it, she is prepared to be ruthless in the name of survival, which I think is something that, you know, is very common to everybody to one extent or another. But she's just got to the point where like if someone gets in you know, if you get in her way, she will kill you. And, you know, that's kind of almost like how she's introduced when she has to deal when she comes home and she finds that her child's dead and her other child's disappeared off with the guy who killed her son then you know she has to try and leave and then people try and stop her because they realize that she's an origin and she's just like well whatever and just basically uh she does the thing it's referred to as icing them which is basically freezing them solid using you know when when sort of they draw heat from the ambient it freezes this you know around them they call it a torus. oh yeah is it is that what it's called yeah t-o-r-u-s and she basically uses it to just, like, freeze people solid. And then, so they can't kill her, and it's, like, a warning to everyone else. And I think... It, just... it doesn't end well. Yeah, she basically destroys the town on her way out. I mean, even if she she doesn't kill
1: everybody, but it's a calm in the middle of fifth season, and now its gates are blown out, and half its people are
0: yeah gone. So the implication is that they're not going to make it. That's kind of... That, that's one of the things that... I kind of liked about Essen as a you know like her character the way her character's introduced, like the way her character's introduced, you get a really good understanding of who she is as a character because like she is the kind of person who would like if if you weighed up you know her child versus an entire town she's gonna choose her child. And it's like, there's there's none of the kind of like Star Trek that needs of the many kind yeah. of thing. It's like, no, fuck it. I'll blow up a town. I don't give a shit.
1: Yeah. I mean, her storyline is like, sometimes for me, the setup and world building aspect of fantasy and like science fiction in particular, um, without visual aids, can turn into a very active effort for me to engage it. Like if I'm reading a science fiction book and it's like made up term, something, I can't visualize it in my head, I don't know what this ship looks like, I don't know what, you know (laughs) I don't have a visual aid, it becomes
0: not exhausting but it can wear me down a little bit Yeah, I read read a science fiction series once and I kind of couldn't really picture what the ships were supposed to be like, so I just made it look like Battlestar Galactica (laughs) and then I saw official artwork of the ships and they looked like penises and I was like, I'll stick them with mine, thanks
1: Yeah Yeah, and so that sometimes just kind of wears on me, and either I can put it aside and keep going with the story, or I can't, (laughs) and this was not hard at all, I didn't have it with this series at all, which is interesting, because I I am now reading um, Jemsen's The Inherence Trilogy, and I I am kind of struggling a little bit, more than halfway through the 100,000 Kingdoms, like the first book, and it's just because... I think it's just it's a little different and it's just a different prose. Um but the gut punch of a son having to deal with the murder of her son in like the first two pages and you're just you're literally thrown into it. Like what's the very first words in this book are you are here and like it just tells you you're here. This is your kid. You know, they're they're dead and you've got this to do. You got this to do. You got to go. And I think that e- alleviated any of the hesitation for me because I'm like, oh, shit, we got to go. Like, we're here. Like we, we I got to I got to get going. <laughs> and I thought that was very, very clever. And it's through her storyline experiencing an actual fifth season that gives weight to the other storylines of Sinai and Diama who aren't experiencing a fifth season but are hearing about it and are living in the rigid structure of the world because – there will be a fifth season eventually you know and i i think that was a really interesting and
0: smart well, start the 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 first the first words of chapter one are you are she she is you you are a son remember the woman whose son is dead so you know that's a hell of a way to start a story yeah <laughs> um that's an interesting thing it's like as soon as soon story is told in present tense second person prose <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which I've only ever come across in, like, choose your own adventure books. Same. And it was it was such an interest. I think I said this on Twitter, but it was after I read um, the fifth season where it's like, I realized that one of... Because I'm trying to write a couple of books and one of them has been giving me real trouble and it's like, this is what I should have been doing all along. I- I- it's like, I'm going to have to go through and rewrite everything I've written and change the tense and the person and stuff like that. It's like, that's absolutely what I need to do. So, thanks, NK Jameson, for <laughs> giving me that revelation. It's such a it's such a great way to you know because usually you're you're either being told what a character's doing as as almost as if you're like an invisible bystander or it's first person and you're sort of being like given a tour through someone's head. Yeah, and you get yeah, getting real
1: time updates on
0: yeah. what's and going on. You you know through that you gain a context of who they are and why they're reacting the way that they are. But with second person, it's like it's almost like participatory because, like, if it's you, it's either you can either see yourself as the person telling the story or the person about whom the story is being told. If that makes sense, because it's think, like I think if, I get what you mean. If, if you read a book where it's like I did this, I can understand that like that's the character and stuff. The character's thinking this is what I did. But if the book's like you did this, it's like the, the it, you know we you can't sort of really escape a life a lifetime of words so it's like you know it's like you do this and it's like damn would i do that shit i don't yeah. know <laughs> yeah and it's it's almost
1: courageous because I, I wonder if she had to like fight with her editor or like what because <laughs> if you hand that in you're like here you go here's my first you know
0: couple oh, yeah, chapters it, it's one of those things whenever you get like, you know pe- people's like oh here's writing advice here's what you do to write yeah never use adverbs only write with blue ink and shit like that and one of them is nobody reads books in second person it's like well fuck it I'm gonna do it anyway shut up N.K. Jemisin is a a really really like top tier storyteller she's like one of the people who I you know as someone who wants to write books for a living is like you know (laughs) you know if if they made like baseball cards for authors I would have N.K. Jemisin's and it would what do you do with baseball cards? I don't actually know, but you keep them in a folder and you hold on to them until they accumulate. It's kind of like comic books. <laughs> well, I would definitely do that with NK Jemison's baseball card. So, like NK Jemison is someone that I that I really look up to and sort of you know, she's amazing. You know, whenever I've finished one of her books, I've always gone like, I really hope that one day I can write something that will make someone feel like how I feel now having read that it's like I, I you know I hope I like, get good enough to be able to write as well as that basically that's, and this, that's lovely the, this this book was no exception it's kind of like cause, it and, hits you yeah And um, as I mentioned last episode uh, I'd, I'd had the fifth season because like, I'd read the Inheritance trilogy and I'd had the fifth season for a while and I've kind of done a thing that I think sometime, that sometimes I do with books where it's like I know for a fact I'm going to enjoy this book so I need to hang on to it for when I really need it <laughs> You know, which because of the themes of the fifth season was actually kind of appropriate because that like a lot of it is to do with preparing for when you need things like, you know, like, you know, because a lot of it's about like storing food and positioning of like wells and irrigation and stuff and because like society in the, the broken earth is like, you know, it's always you've always got kind of one eye on the apocalypse where it's like people like you know, you're going about your life in the here and now, but also you have to be doing the sort of various like ancillary background things to make sure that you have a better chance of surviving during the apocalypse. Which, you know, as as someone with anxiety and paranoia and stuff, I kind of oh, pre- yeah I kind of appreciated because, <laughs> you know, I was the kind of kid who would look at a roller coaster and look go, no, no there's too many things that could go wrong and if it goes wrong it goes wrong bad so I'll just ride the teacups thanks very much the Macaulay Culkin's character in the page master when it starts and he's like paralysed by his fear of everything I just watched that as a kid and I was like this seems like a eminently sensible way to conduct <laughs> oneself in the world <laughs> The world is a terrifying nightmare puzzle that could kill me at any moment.
1: (laughs) I wanted to talk to you about something, Mm -hmm. because we're kind of Lord of the Rings people. We have, like, a whole show just for that. I did not want to visit the stillness. Fuck that place. Uh, And it may seem weird in general to say that, but, like, a big hallmark of fantasy and stuff, and sci-fi as genres, is that they're appealing for their otherworldliness, usually, a lot of the time. Like, a lot of genre fiction is set up to be a desired destination one way or another. Maybe it's difficult or, you know, maybe a little scary, but it has so many magical, wonderful things going on in it that you kind of overlook it and you're just really excited about it. Like, in middle school, I was so overwhelmed with the reality that Middle Earth wasn't somewhere I'd ever actually go to, I cried. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was never gonna ever go to Middle Earth. Little, little did you know there was a magical place
0: called New Zealand.
1: And I've been there. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's Harry Potter for a lot of people too. Like, you can read all these posts, like the world of Harry Potter's shit, because wizards do this and they don't have pens and whatever. And people are like, I don't care. I you, still want
0: to go. Are you sub? I, are you subtweeting me in, your own in our podcast. own sh- in our own podcast? In front of the internet and God and everybody,
1: a little bit. But my point is, <laughs> I hate the fucking train, Christy. Point.
0: The fucking train is stupid.
1: Okay, when I read Harry Potter, <laughs> I cannot believe they didn't have pens. Every time they mention, "Oh, I gotta go get my quill," I'm like, "Fucking stupid!
0: <laughs> get a pen." I think You're it's from um the human world, <laughs> Harry. <laughs> like, what the? You're I a think... muggle, kind of. I, r- like, I remember. I remember, um, our, I think it was our friend Richard who said on Tumblr once. It's like in Harry Potter, you just want to go to them. It's like, look, just admit that you're using quills just for the aesthetic. Just, you know, it's fine, but just be upfront. You're the doing choice. it on purpose. You're doing yeah. it for the look of the thing.
1: This can't be like school regulate. Like it's, I don't. And they they does get into it though. It's like school regulation, um, paper and like all that stuff. But I'm like, oh come on. <laughs> even even as a small child, I was like. Mm. That's dumb. <laughs> anyway, but that those choices are other reasons other people really want to go. You know, like they want to go sit down in the big hall that's all dimly lit with floating candles and write on parchment paper with a quill. Like that's a part of the allure of Harry Potter to people. And that's, you know, their moment. Maybe they cry. I, I'm never going to get to go do that or experience that like I do when I'm reading the books. did not have that problem with this story, and I really like that fact. Like, Mm. a part of me was like, "Mm." the only real, I thought, benefit to the stillness was like, unlike living here and now in 2018, at least the world of the stillness and its little apocalypse has the decency to make sense and to mean something. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like,
1: ultimately, that was nice. (laughs) But it it just I thought it was so funny, and it was it only came to me like halfway through the second
0: book where I was like, you know what, fuck this place, like I don't want to ever go here. This I think I, I think stillness Twitter would probably be, you know, that that would be quite oh, that would be infinitely more comprehensible than what we have to deal with. There, there'd never be any. It's like, no, oh, the climate's kicking off again. You know, <laughs> God. Still, still, stillness um, memes. There's, there's a fanfic project for someone. Um, oh my god, that feel when a, a broken earth a zine where it's just like <laughs> <laughs> treated <laughs> like any others. Hashtag TFW. An otter eats your family. But I like that part of it. Yeah, you know it was it was interesting because even as difficult as like realm of the elderlings
1: was with its various countries and conflicts and stuff, it was still ultimately a place I would visit that I was compelled and interested yeah. in as it exists,
0: you know. Not so much with the stillness. <laughs> hey, guess what? It's the time for me to, as I do every, like, once every podcast, mention one of my favourite books, which is... <laughs> it should be called The Wreckers plus
1: it's... Realm of the Uh
0: No, not even that. It's, uh, it's oh. the, the the Tough Guide to Fantasyland by Diana Wynne Jones. Oh, which... I have that in my wishlist it's really it's it, it as i say it's one of my favorite books diana wynne jones obviously is she you know she was a fantasy author she i think most people probably know her as the author of howell's moving castle but she wrote the crestomancy series and she wrote this book the tough guide to fantasy land which is essentially a dictionary of fantasy tropes presented as a travel guide book and i think that um christy you're exactly right in that you know r- people who read fantasy, there kind of almost is an element of like tourism coming from the a uh, very 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 tourism heavy environment and world and like society yes, <laughs> I really do you know, think so the-, the Lord of the Rings is kind of like the fantasy equivalent of going on a walk holiday in Scotland um <laughs> you know most like fantasy books I think I think there's a there's probably one moment. Per book, I think, where people think, you know, if it's people reading it think, oh, "I'd love to see that. I'd love to go there. I'd love to experience that myself." But <laughs> with um, the Broken Earth, it's kind of like, "Wow, I'm glad I'm home in my bed right now." <laughs> like, well, it's an opposite. Rather feeling. you, rather you than me, buddy. Um, yeah. It was su- just an interesting dynamic. Ill. Yeah,
1: because it was it was that opposite feeling. I didn't ever have a really a point in the book where I was like, "Wow, I'd wish I could." see that or like and it's more than just i want to be at hogwarts and be there like see the whole universal and do that now but the hogwarts
0: (laughs) thing is so confusing to me because i grew up reading books where it's a boarding school you know and i grew up reading books where boarding school is essentially you know it's it's like hell on earth but it's full of (laughs) tweens I, i you know i read books like tom Brown's school days and stuff where you know there's like institutional torture by older boys and stuff and it's You know, it's it's just a breeding ground for toxic masculinity. (laughs) It's a reading Harry Potter. It's oh, it's boarding school, but it's it's magical. It's like how I can't imagine it. School was terrible for me. That's the thing. It's it's always been weird to me that people can like talk about school as like oh, you know, I did this when I was in school, and it was kind of like. So you're saying school wasn't a foundation (laughs) for your lifelong trauma? Interesting. Fascinating. Because for me, (laughs) school was terrible. So, it's kind of like people, like, fondly reminiscing about being in hell. It's like, I don't know what the (laughs) fuck you're talking about. Okay, so. The idea of being locked in a building with other children. School was shit, but at least I got to go home. Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay, so. So not not Hogwarts. say,
1: Let's say (laughs) the Mortal Engines world, let's put it that way. Mm. Because even that one, which is, you know, post-apocalyptic, mad Maxian.
0: Yeah, but shit sounds cool. There's, like, cities with caterpillar tracks. There's like yeah. mobile cities eating each other.
1: Cities are eating each other.
0: That sounds like a great <laughs> thing to experience. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's not th- that's the kind of world where it's like you'd want to go there, but you'd want like an a- eject button. <laughs> yeah, you'd want like a panic button. You could just be like Fulton <laughs> out like a metal Gear solid. It's like whoop, time <laughs> to go. Beep. Whoop.
1: The vine of the kid who's like just fades away. He's like, I'm out. <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but even that series, and again, it's not. It's not just oh, I want to see a city eat another city, which I do. It's also the emotions that those stories (laughs) have and invoke in them. You know what I mean? Like that's a big story about love. So it's not just being there. It's also those feelings. And with the fifth season, it's, it's again, it's a, socially challenging I think story and it never makes that connection of like this is somewhere you'd want to be because you'd learn so much and you'd feel so many amazing things (laughs) you know it's kind of more of like a a mirror where it's like hey this looks familiar huh sucks don't it (laughs) (laughs) so Um, I I thought that was really interesting for a fantasy sci-fi which by the way which do you think it is more I think it's more sci-fi. I
0: I think the answer to that is yes. Mm. If you you said to me, is it science fiction or fantasy? I would say yes. Good answer. Uh, Again, going back to Diana Wynne-Jones, there was a thing I remember reading that she wrote about how she got really annoyed by division, you know, genre divisions when you're writing for adults. I think she wrote a thing about how if you're writing a children's book, you can have a spaceship full of witches who are going to a monastery on an asteroid. But you can't write the same thing for grown ups because it's like, oh that's just silly. It's like yeah. Well, then it's silly, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I had to I mean that's the thing. I, I you know, I, I don't know how much you know it, it it's obvious that nk Jemison did a lot of research into stuff like geology and seismology and climatology and various otherologies but it's kind of like at the same time it's like there's all that yeah but there's also magic so you know <laughs> yeah like the
1: the it's science is used to describe and explain <laughs> orogenes magic ability which is just really interesting because it's done in a way where I don't know what the hell she's talking about in some ways because <laughs> I don't have the research at my fingertips of what she's researched but it's descriptive enough that I get the general idea of what they're doing mm. and and
0: I love that. And, and I loved it. Another thing that N.K. Emerson did really well in this book is like even though most people reading it won't understand things like seismology and geology and climatology and stuff like that she still writes in such a way that when like people start doing Orogeny and they start, you know, shunting matter around. yeah, It's like, even when stuff, cause the whole, um the whole thing with, uh, with Alabaster, who is a uh, Cyanite's like partner slash superior. The Ten Ringer. Yeah. Yeah. He's like one of the most like powerful origins in the world, possibly the most powerful one. It's like the stuff he can do with Orogeny is stuff that, you know, soyna I think is she like a four ringer when we yeah she's four rings when yeah. we meet her she so she's a four ringer and he's doing he's doing stuff that in in I think in some ways contradicts like the theory that she's been taught and I know, was I was going to say he's so advanced he's messing with her concept of <laughs> reality yeah, he's like you know he's kind of <laughs> like he's rewriting like the textbooks often like it's seemingly like on the fly but you get the you get the impression that you know i think cause he's supposed to be like in his 40s i think he's had that whole sort of like lived experience and using orogeny and like really like testing what it can do and i think it's a you know it's implied that he has like a, a sort of natural facility for it you know yeah. even greater than their like an average person with orogeny it's like he's kind of like I don't know it's kind of almost like presented that he's like a super origin and in the first book anyway it's kind of I don't know if it's like really communicated if that's like an innate thing or if it's due to like training or a combination of the two (laughs) Alabaster's Alabaster's my favorite character. He's so good.
1: I love how he starts out where you're kind of like I don't know if I like this guy (laughs) he's so disillusioned and everything and he's just laying down truths that and not even in a
0: nice understanding way even though what he's saying is just earth shattering and you oh know. yeah the the, the man does, the man does not know how to sugarcoat <laughs> at all not at
1: all so you're kind of like eh. but the, the longer you are with him the more you realize that he's actually very a very sensitive person and he's very mm. thoughtful and he's just been through a lot and he's had a lot of things you know in his fairly short life done to him and things he's done and But I think he kind of brings Cyanite into not necessarily his worldview, but they find a balance amongst Mm. themselves. That's really beautiful. We haven't even gotten to, like... We haven't even mentioned (laughs) Hoa and the Stone Eaters and this entire other...
0: But because there's, like, sort of three story... There's, like, three story tracks. Each of them has their own, like, characters and stuff. It kind of is almost like, you know, you're reading, like, three books in one. It's like... It's almost like a trilogy of trilogies until, uh, you know... Never, no, for guys. It. Cutting yeah, this no, out. No, fuck no, fuck no, you. Fuck you, dump, me. Dump out.
1: Um, but, but, what, but I only bring it up, the Stone Eater up, because that's like my favorite alabaster moment. It's like the big, like Stone Eaters in the story are these, oh my God, they're kind of like the Doctor Who. Um, the Weeping Angels. <laughs> yeah, a little bit.
0: So they're people I, made I, of stone. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and they look like statues. And they're like a lore. They're a myth. They're like a legend or a story people tell each other and there's a point in the in the book where one just pops up and like saves them all of a sudden and Cyanite is like what, the, what fuck? the fuck and he's like oh yeah that's um <laughs> like you know <laughs> like he literally is just very casually like oh yeah they just one's been following
0: <laughs> yeah, me for a while and if, she's like oh uh, but like if, the fuck? imagine if imagine if you were like reading <laughs> like a sci-fi novel and the heroes were like in a spaceship that was going to explode and then one of them was just like, and then suddenly like Santa Claus turned up and was like, don't worry, people, don't worry, lads, I'll whisk you away on my sleigh to safety. And it was like, what the fuck? And one of the, and one of the, one of the heroes is like, oh yeah, he, Santa Claus, we're friends, I guess. We yeah. know each other. We, you know, we've, we've kicked around a bit. It's like, what the fuck? That's um, my favorite alabaster
1: moment. Cause she's like her entire reality. She's like all um, the myths and things just shattering
0: around. Antimony World falling down. Yes, Ant- Antimony's the stone eater's name. Just this this stony to this like quasi mythical person made of stone. Just turns up and saves them from a bad a badness, and <laughs> and Zyla's like, what the fuck just happened? He's like, oh, that was Antimony. We're friends, I think. A bit. And he's like, dusted off, and
1: he's like, let's go explore
0: this island. We're now. <laughs>
1: She's like,
0: uh, what? Okay. the hell,
1: that's um... my favorite Alabaster moment. I thought it was so funny, and it just. Dip the story like it adds
0: so much information. It's such a small, short, <laughs> weird time. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, sorry, I should have mentioned I'm friends with. She stalks me. It's a whole thing. Yeah, like, sorry <laughs> about it. It's it's like I'm friends with Krampus. Just you know, yeah. whatever. I have I have my own guardian angel. It's fine. It. <laughs> you know, I don't want to. don't want to make it a thing. You know, Alabas is my favorite character. I just I'm kind of at a point in my life where. I am I am as done where as he is, and that is also what kind of appealed to me about um as as a character it's like, and, and like and I'm only like thirty three, <laughs> you know <they're> like both <laughs> both Esun and Alabaster are older than but I'm at the point in my life now where I'm just like whatever uh, my favorite character is soon and then I I really do like Hoa a lot yeah Hoa is a character from Esun's story he's a he's a stone eater. But he's different. He looks like a human boy, and he's like entirely white, <laughs> like like paper st- pale. <laughs> I think he's supposed to be like chalk white. Yeah, and like it's weird. And but people are kind of like, I think people are like more distracted by the apocalypse happening around them to really like, hey, what's up with that kid? Uh, one thing that I did want to sort of really mention is, um, NK Jemison. I really... like I appreciate how she she. In, in all of the books I think that I've read of hers, there has been, like, you know, there have been, you know, gay and bi and trans characters. And it's just been a thing. It hasn't been, you know... It's, like, it's not sort of been lent on. as It's just, like, a thing that's existed in the world. Um, there's a character in the fifth season who's called uh, Tonki. She's an innovator, and she's yeah. a trans woman. She's one of the best, sort of, trans characters i've seen especially one written by a cis person and like you know it's, it's just like mentioned that like she's doing like whole, you know she's got like hormone replacement like therapy and yeah she's having to try and you know keep that up while the apocalypse is going on and i think it, it's it's kind of i think it's one of the things about the world of the fifth season it's like it doesn't really you know it, it never like comes up as an issue and i think it's because people have got this well the world could explode <laughs> you know we've all got better things to do than worry about who people are fucking and what the genitals look like
1: i agree and i think another part of it is it's also a statement of like yeah there's magical earthquake wizards
0: <laughs> but guess what there's still gay people we're really really like... we're, we're really really simplifying when we call them earthquake wizards by the way it's yeah. just i can't possibly begin to describe what they're doing yeah so. earthquake wizard works um, for me but yeah that that's you know that's one of the the reasons that um Alabaster was my favorite character. He's just this very, very done gay man who's just—he's like—he's like a—he's like, like a tired, sad gay, and I love those. Your favorite? <laughs> yeah, I collect them. I fa- I have a <laughs> quote from
1: Jeminson here um, from a Guardian interview. She's oh with shit, the one you've, they- you've done you know, like
0: homework and shit.
1: Burlesque. I have just thought it was really interesting, and I I think it sums up. You know, we're talking about this story and everything, but. Ultimately,
0: this is the author who's kind of expressing. <laughs> you've you've gone away into all this work, and I'm just here talking about my feelings.
1: <laughs> no, no, I just I I have my <laughs> notes that I thought it was interesting, and I thought maybe it'd be it, okay. So I'll just read it, and then sure, you'll sure. see what. I picked it. So she says, as a black woman, I have no particular interest in maintaining the status quo. Why would I? The status quo is harmful. The status quo is significantly racist and sexist and a whole bunch of other things that I think need to change. With epic fantasy, there's a tendency for it to be quintessentially conservative in that its job is to restore what is perceived to be out of whack. I don't want to do that. And so I think that's why she has these characters in there is that they're not (laughs) – they're not out of whack yeah.
0: like they belong here well that but um i am glad that you you know you mentioned that because it is you know like you, you know one one of the sort of abiding themes in all the um nk jemisin books that i've read is that thing about not upholding the status quo just because things are the way they are doesn't mean they have to stay that way yeah if there's a if there's a better way of doing things then let's do that <laughs> Anyone who reads
1: this would will be able to easily make real world equivalents to you know the story, yeah. whether that be based on you know any LGBT stuff or
0: race <sighs> issues or anything like that. So well, and it's intentional. I know one of the things that we talked about is doing like a mini, it's like a like a, like a side thing, like Wreckers Guide. And is a Guide on Monogatari? Which one is side story? Is it Gaiden? No, uh, one of the things we talked about is doing like a little side episode where we talk about the Inheritance Trilogy and I especially would be interested to hear what you, Christy, have to say about the Inheritance Trilogy, especially in terms of the subject of colonialism.
1: Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of those happening <laughs> in that story. Yeah,
0: maybe we will do that what I finish Oh, That's the thing, you know, there's, there's no rush, it's going to be like whenever. It's just really good. Like, and you know, N.K. Jemisin is one of... The, it's like when I worked in a bookshop, if someone... You know, I, I was, like, in charge of the science fiction and fantasy section. And, you know, if if ever anyone said, you know, what do you recommend? I would kind of, like, instantly go, "Read." have you read N.K. Jemisin? Uh, one of the things that I had to do in the bookshop was ha- uh, have, like, recommendation cards. And, you know, like, certain books would be turned so that the cover was facing out rather than, like, spying on to, like, highlight it. And I would always, always make sure... There was at least like, you know, whenever I had to like redo the shelves, I would always make sure that um The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms by N. K. Jemison was face in front because it's like I wanted people to see that book. I wanted people to I you know, I wanted people to g- to gain the benefits of reading NK jemison's work that I had received. <laughs> and the, These... fifth, the fifth season is certainly the same thing. It's like I would yeah. I'm That's why I was so excited, I was like,
1: I have someone that has to read it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Like, if I won the lottery, I would buy just, like, a 100 copies and just walk around handing them out. It's like, there you go, change your life, thank me later. Or don't, I don't care, just read it. Is there anything else you want to say about the fifth hmm. season? You know,
1: well, not the fifth season, it's something about later on. So I think I'll just shelf it, it's okay. Okay. It's not exactly relevant, so I'm good. That's fine.
0: So, the raccoons then... <laughs> My turn! <laughs> so yeah, um, the thing that I uh, recommended to you, Christy, was beloved uh, Canadian children's cartoon, The Raccoons. The Raccoons. Which I, of which you had previously never heard. Not a single <laughs> bit. So uh, would you please debrief me on how your experience with The Raccoons went? So I'm going to talk about
1: me real quick. And then I am going to spend most of the time, I think, folding in my family and my kids' um, reactions to the raccoons and what they liked about it, uh, which I think is a bit more interesting, honestly, because I obviously loved it.
0: Like, it's the most... I have been (laughs) living for this moment. Please continue.
1: It's, like, obviously. Anyone who knows me even remotely, like, walks (laughs) into my house is going to be, like... See if they saw a picture of the raccoons, they'd be like, "You probably like this, huh?" And I'd be like, "Oh yeah, absolutely." <laughs> like that's just where it's at, and that's a big duh. Everything about it's charming: the characters, the music, the pacings. I mean, it, the it's sentimental, it's gentle. I I love it. It reminded me of <laughs> Gem and the Holograms, without you know
0: a bit more <laughs> wow. drama. That isn't that is not a comparison I ever would have made. But really? Now you, but now you've said that, yeah, absolutely. I. It has a similar format, absolutely Mm. does.
1: Uh, Less, you know, continued story, but not a big deal. Same era, same kind of color palette (laughs) going on there. Yeah, so that's kind of my first touchstone was like, oh, it's like Jim. (laughs) But in our house, we classify cartoons as either amp-up shows or nighttime shows. Mm. And the qualifications, yes, of those varies. So things like um DuckTales, Trollhunters, Avatar the Last Airbender, Steven Universe, they all have like action and humor in them, but because there's a more a higher focus on a story or a continuing story and it's something we can all as a family sit down and watch, hmm. that's what we classify as a nighttime show. And then amp up shows are whatever my kids want to watch during the day that I don't really give a shit about. So <laughs> so that's their time to be free and explore you know whatever they feel like clicking on Netflix or you know they don't have to worry about compromising with everyone else on what it is we're going to watch so that's the amp up show that's their territory
0: what? Uh, just out of interest where do Godzilla movies fall on that spectrum Okay. oh my god okay this is very complicated sure. <laughs> if it's too complicated to get into for the show no, no, that's no. fine you don't it's have to
1: I think it's fascinating. So I have I have a child named Buster, and Buster loves Godzilla. In, like, very specifically, the movie Space Godzilla, or Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla, because in that movie, there's a tiny, very, very, very kawaii, very cute babyzilla, and Buster loves this babyzilla, <laughs> to the point where <laughs> there are nights... Where Buster's like, I'm gonna go watch Spacezilla. Goes downstairs, gets blanket, gets some some babies, stuffed animals, tucks tucks themselves in, starts the movie and just watches all by all by themselves. Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla. The rest of us are like, Night Buster, <laughs> like bye, like that's it. So that's, a that's a nighttime Godzilla, 100%. Oh, uh, I love your
0: like, I love, that, your, yeah, I love that... your kids so much. They're brilliant. <laughs>
1: Jet Jaguar and stuff is, is that's an amp up. Like we can watch that during the day, and they can run around and knock each other over. And <laughs> just, oh god, okay. So just in, clothesline each other. In Jet Jaguar, there's this move Godzilla does where it's like a double kick. Everybody, <laughs> okay, anyone who knows even yeah. remotely, Godzilla I, knows this. I I'm know it well. I I've turned. I've come down the stairs. I'm like, guys, you want some snacks? <laughs> to see Charlie. Jump up and just right into Buster's chest, oh knock my him God. flat out into the beanbag. And they're both laughing. They think it's the funny. I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, I threw the snacks. I was like, you know? And Buster's laughing. I was like, oh my God. It's like WWE. I yeah. I was like, oh Jesus. It's like, it's like we're not undertaking through mankind of Hell in a Cell. It, it's just amazing. And I'm like, okay, if we're doing Godzilla, clear the floor, you know push the beanbags up against the wall, and they will just, like, run headfirst into
0: this these big beanbags we have downstairs. <laughs> people might know you from Tumblr because you made a post about how your kids um, put <laughs> oh a Godzilla God. mask on a bouncy horse and just leave oh, it around the house. Yeah, that's yeah, my, that that is is my f- That's my favourite fucking thing on Tumblr. I can't sometimes I just look... Sometimes I look at fun. it and just laugh. It's just... They
1: stopped doing that, thank God. They mixed it up a <laughs> up too, but... Oh, my face hurts. We have a Hulk mask too. That one was on there for a while, but (laughs) just to changing it up. Yeah, seeing what works. (laughs) Anyway, so (laughs) Space Godzilla is a nighttime one because it just is, I guess. And then every other Godzilla is an amp up show. Anyhow, (laughs) (laughs) the raccoons fell into the nighttime show, and even a subset of that called the deep sleep nighttime (sighs) show, in the sense that it really calms everybody down to the point where lee just falls asleep and i'm like get up <laughs> go, go, go lay down at the bed if you're going to sleep so um uh, they really liked it overall and but they have they have various some strong opinions
0: about various things so i have been on tender hooks, <laughs> desperate to know what your kids think of the raccoons
1: oh my god okay so we we started first with the show so we watched episodes of the show we watched like the first i think five episodes in order And then it became apparent it doesn't really matter about the order, so we just kind of let them pick a number or, you know, if there's various means in which we were watching the show, um, if they saw a screen cap or a picture that they liked, they'd click that one. And um, overall, the show, they really – they liked. They'd they'd sit down and they'd watch it, and some of that, like it was – or acquiring it through various possibly illegal means, and some of the quality wasn't so great. And that was a little difficult. They wouldn't hold their attention as much if it was grainy and it was kind of hard to, like, mm. see what was happening. Um, but we watched Christmas Raccoons, Raccoons on Ice, <laughs> Raccoons in the Lost Star, eventually, uh, after we watched a few of the episodes of the show. And okay, so Buster loves Serral Sneer because, <laughs> because, I quote, they're pink and grumpy. Like that's, I I think, a contrast that Buster really likes and stuff. the like logic. Likes Baby Zilla because they're super super cute, but they're a monster. Like <laughs> likes that a lot. Just loves Cyril Sneer, cute pink, which is Buster's absolute favorite color, pink, but just got this nasty mouth and just talks terrible. It has this cigar. <laughs> Loved it. That's wonderful. Also, I'm so also, happy. Buster's also a really big fan of Bert Raccoon, which thanks for mm. that. So yeah, because maybe Bert... I should have maybe I should have warned you more about. <laughs> no, no. Bert Raccoon has a sweater that says a big B on it. Yeah. So obviously oh, that's the favorite character. Yeah, Bert Raccoon. It's already it's a raccoon, which Buster already really really likes. All bunnies, raccoons, squirrels, small like
0: groundhogs animals buster <laughs> so this was just like wow buster is i think i think once uh, in conversation we were talking about your kids and we we came to the conclusion that the best summary of buster is uh the appearance of a disney princess with the personality of conan the barbarian yeah exactly <laughs> that is literally my
1: kid like that is buster is and it just confuses so many people <laughs> buster confuses a lot of people Buster is wearing Hello Kitty <laughs> shoes and a Hello Kitty shirt.
0: And the blood of and, and their enemies.
1: And a pink a pink shorts on. Carrying around you know, little cute stuffed animal. It's got a rainbow necklace, pink sunglasses and will just drop <laughs> kick other children. Like, <laughs> flat out annihilate oh, other kids. I feel dizzy. Buster built like a tank. Buster is solid. I've seen this kid take on older children, and not just like physically, will annihilate them verbally, which is another interesting
0: experience for me. <laughs> oh, so, so some of my favorite things on the internet are when you talk about your kids. I
1: Buster's an interesting individual. <laughs> who they're my child, my children, and I love them. But I've got some strong personalities that I deal with <laughs> this day. Uh, one that surprised me is buster really liked brew who is like the little puppy schaefer (laughs) dog clone that's a more of a dog than schaefer i don't know what's happening there
0: yeah like schaefer's Brew's dad and schaefer is a dog but schaefer is a it's kind of like like it's like if Pluto was Goofy's son, it's like, what the fuck's yeah. going on there? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little interesting, but Buster likes Brew, and it's because Buster thinks
1: Brew's name is Boo. I'm like, it's Brew. brew, brew, brew. No, it's Boo, They're like me. I'm like, no, <laughs> their name, the dog's name is Brew. No, the dog's name is Boo, like me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know what? Sure, whatever. could be there because and this there's again a story across the street there's a dog named charlie and so we say charlie dog you know oh there's charlie dog wave to charlie dog and every time buster's like where when where's buster dog and i'm like (laughs) they don't have a buster dog they didn't name the dog after charlie like they had the dog Um, before we
0: moved here (laughs) i remember um telling you about one of my favorite transformers is called buster and i remember (laughs) telling you that and you's like Charlie wanted to know if there was a Charlie Transformer, so I had, yeah. to, like, I had to like scour <laughs> through the Transformers wiki. <laughs> and I think I eventually yes. found like a, like a PlaySchool GoBot Helicopter, Charlie Copter, yes, Charlie
1: Copter, yes. <laughs> uh, this is very important. They oh. need like a, this weird equilibrium about their names, <laughs> and I think it's because they're really aware that they're named after famous people. One like like my, my kids are named after Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton, and they know that, and they're big fans of Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. <laughs> So, like, their names are really important to them.
0: One was life and one was death. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
1: my God. So, Buster's just, uh, <laughs> really offended. And uh, just to make things worse is we've met, like, four different dogs named Charlie, which is just weird because everybody, when I name my kid, they're like, you know, Buster's a dog name, right? And I'm like, yeah, okay, thank you so much for your input. But I've, we, since B-
0: then... Buster, come here and clothesline this asshole.
1: <laughs> yeah, since, since I've given birth to a child i named buster i have yet to meet a dog named buster so buster thinks all of the dogs in the world are named charlie <laughs> and is really upset and offended that no other dogs are named buster when the reality is
0: all these dogs in the world are named buster i don't get it it's <laughs> just a hyper concentration of charlie dogs <laughs> around where you live i um, guess
1: Actually, anyway, that's... so he thinks he thinks Brew's name's
0: Boo, and that's just a fact. Just and there's no <laughs> to stay on dogs for a second. I think I probably I think I probably told you this, Christy, but one of my favorite Transformers is Thundercracker, who's one of the Seekers. He's yeah. he's the blue Starscream, uh, and in the in the Transformers <laughs> comics, he's given up being a Decepticon to become a screenwriter, uh, and he has a pet dog called Buster, and <laughs> the dog is based on the writer's real dog, which is called Charlie. So. Oh, God, I, I don't, can't tell them that. I don't know, who, like, which one of them, like, if you told them that, it's like, here's this information you sorted out between yourself, which one of you wins that one? It's gonna end in fifth. Like this, like, this dog's real and it's called Charlie, but this dog's fictional, but it's friends with a robot, so... Mm, I don't know. You know, oh God, app- blow app- their mind. <laughs> apply whatever sorting algorithm you use to Is robots involved? Things. No, I'm
1: not telling them that. It'll be...
0: A horrible day for me very wise
1: <laughs> um so those are buster's favorites saril sneer because they're pink and pink and grumpy Bert raccoon because there's a bee on their sweater and boo slash brew the puppy dog all right <laughs>
0: okay so what so, about charlie So
1: moving on charlie's a bit more sophisticated oh um oh yes he like he were really like cedric sneer which is a very Charlie choice, honestly.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a. Uh, if, if you haven't, if you haven't seen the raccoons, uh, Cedric is Cyril's um, like hyper hyper stereotypical nerd son. But I love I love Cedric. He's a sweetheart, funny. and he's like secretly working against his father's it's capitalist sweetness. schemes.
1: He's so sweet.
0: <laughs> I think that's why Charlie likes him. Is that he's he's sweet. He's a he's a good um, he's a good friend.
1: Yes and uh he likes bert charlie likes bert i think just because he's more talkative um ralph and melissa don't really register to my children and i think it's because they're like normal people who they're are so, the voice of reason so,
0: they're so weird they're such weird characters in a cartoon it's like they're raccoons they, they really like, are you know they're like everyone's mom and dad it's like every mom and dad you've ever met it's yeah like but they're melissa like the same ralph. age as everyone it's weird it's an
1: interesting choice. Let's not say weird. It's an interesting choice. Um, Charlie's absolute favorite loves the pigs. Which are Serral's <laughs> henchmen. And that's because Charlie loves pigs. Yes, sir!
0: <laughs> I fucking love those pigs.
1: Oh my god, Charlie
0: loves those pigs. I love the, love so- the sound when they run of their trotters.
1: <laughs> yeah. he he. Charlie's got a big history of pigs being his favorite animal just like in movies or if there's a pig in it loves porco rosso which is interesting um like he'll sit down and watch that fairly adult kind of (laughs) boring studio ghibli movie
0: no problem at least he's learning the good lessons like better a pig than a fascist (laughs) true um and he's he's a big fan of the style of
1: music in the show like he likes how it's used. And that's something I've noticed about my kids is that Buster likes seeing someone singing the song, so he's more into the performance. So, like, he loves Moana and Mary Poppins, and we would just we just watched um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, whatever. The Gene Wilder, the good one.
0: And um, <laughs> wow, I mean, yeah. true, but wow, it's true. Like, you um, shouldn't
1: say
0: it. <laughs> yeah, and uh,
1: Charlie's just not—I don't know—he doesn't connect to the musicals as much in that way but
0: he does like when so, wait so one of your kids <laughs> prefers diegetic music and one of your kids prefers non-diegetic music
1: i was just getting to that where <laughs> charlie prefers music as more abstract non-diegetic experience with you know the visuals kind of taking precedence over the performance of the song or like necessarily the song as an emotional anchor to a
0: scene you know what i mean and yeah. i think it's because it affects him more that makes me like, think he'd he probably he'd probably enjoy uh the last unicorn yeah you're Just right actually. america wailing about a unicorn
1: yeah except i think that's another one of those things where charlie is a for being the pink sugar-coated one buster is very you know <laughs> insular can be like eh, whatever get to the part where they like do the funny thing or they sing and Charlie gets very very invested and movies kind of affect him so I think The Last Unicorn might be too
0: sad and too scary for him personally I'm sure Buster wouldn't give crap. Have they they seen the 86 Transformers movie? Yes. Did Charlie appreciate the songs in that? Yes. Good. Yeah they like (laughs)
1: yeah that's that's more of Charlie's thing and there's I think I made a yeah, it was a Twitter post the other day um, about how they, they'll just play the same song over and over. Like, they'll skip to the scene back to the beginning and play just the music from that movie. And I was like, I can download – like, we can get the soundtrack if you want They're like, no. I'm like, great. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this too. Thanks, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> thank you. Um, so that's what they'll do. And he likes that type of music presentation a lot more. And um, I think it's in – Raccoons and the Last Star there's a song where everything's kind of sad I think Sophia Tutu who we will get to her um, is like locked I up or was, I didn't know that was her full name That's her <laughs> full name um, Sophia Tutu is locked up stop saying and it And now I'm going to say it every single time cuz I love it
0: okay. And
1: um oh, you're killing me Everything turns like blue neon and she's, like, crying, and it's kind of a sad song. And, and poor Charlie, he comes over, he, like, sits with me, and he's like, I don't want to watch anymore. I'm like, well, we got to finish it. <laughs> like, you know, you like closure, I'm sure it'll be fine. So that that stuff kind of affects him. But at the same time, he likes it. And most of the time in Raccoons, it's like a happy song, and they're going through a forest, or they're, like, traveling, or, you know, it's, they're doing something exciting. So he liked that aspect a lot more than Buster did. Um, and then me, I love, I re- I was making fun of her name because it's stupid, but I I do honestly like Sophia Tutu a lot. Um, <laughs> I think her design is bonkers. Like, I don't know what the hell is happening, and I love that about her. Like, she's got this she's, big shoujo
0: hair. She's also, uh, because uh, Cedric and Cyril Sneer are pink aardvarks, with a we kind think. of, with no, um, I I have since received confirmation that they are oddvocs. Okay, uh, okay, and they they've got a kind of like right angle nose. It's like <laughs> their nose, like, comes out and down, dips down, yeah. Which Bert, but... Charlie said Bert's they look like. Bird's nose also does, and it's yeah. like watching it as an adult. It's like. Is he, Cyril, is he supposed to be like Cyril's illegitimate son or something? <laughs> no, you just kind of that... bent up nose because he's falling but out of trees. Why open. else would it be like that? Okay, I guess. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I assumed, you know. Uh... He too much cocaine in the 80s and that's why his <laughs> nose. And think how easy it would be to do if you had a nose like that. I do know. Uh, so Sophia Tutu has this like aardvark
1: face. but she Oh has, yeah, like, this... that's
0: what I'm saying. Sophia is also a pink aardvark. <laughs>
1: She's a pink aardvark. She's got this purple, very very luscious. I say shoujo hair because it's like curly, and she's got this headband on. She's pink. She's got like white. It's almost like it's almost shorts, like a tank
0: it's, like it's almost like a beehive.
1: Yeah, a little bit, and uh, she's got like this banging body for some reason, <laughs> kind of weird.
0: Um, yeah, because like and, you know, Cyr- Cyril and Cedric they have these like kind of like aardvark pop, bodies, pot bellies, and you know, yeah. stumpy legs and claws, and she's like someone put an aardvark head on a barbie no so i i I have this this fight within me where
1: i hate sophia tutu because she's got makeup on she's got the effort put into
0: making her body look the way it does and her clothing the way it does she has a very listen listen we have to make sure people will want to fuck the aardvark i can't stress that enough
1: that odd walk is fuckable, or I walk. Cedric Sneer wouldn't date some dump. Like, <laughs> what like what's the. I don't understand. <laughs> so, a part of me really hates. Because, yeah, because Melissa is but, shaped
0: like a raccoon.
1: But, but, she also has all these things that I just am a sucker for. I like that she has this bright blue eyeshadow. I like that her hair looks like that. I like <laughs> that she's a figure skater. Like I like that. <laughs> oh my god! I don't think I knew she was a figure skater. <laughs> Yes, that's how they meet her. Oh my god, I'm an expert now. That's how they meet her in Raccoons you, on Ice. You've got like the deep raccoons
0: lore and I got, shit that I I've never, it. that I've never seen. I'm <laughs> in it. You don't I just, know. I just like I just oh used to god, watch everything. this on TV as a kid. I don't know what fucking Raccoons on Ice is. Well, this this was my homework, so I <laughs> have researched and I've
1: experienced as much raccoons oh, as god, I, god, I think. Oh <laughs> This is scary. Anyway. So I love Sophia Tutu, but I kind of hate her at the same time. So I'm it's complicated. I'm, yeah, we have a complicated relationship, Sofia
0: Tutu and I. Um, would you though? Huh? Would you? Yeah. You you date the you you date the the woman about whom you have such complicated. Yeah, I would date <laughs> some kind right, of fucking. Real quick,
1: real quick, let's do fuck, Mary kill with the
0: <laughs> I categorically refuse beyond this. <laughs> Well, let's Dan. let's focus let's focus on this black swan scenario that we're sketching out for you and Sophia Tutu.
1: No, I hate this. We need to <laughs> move. Um, so for me, like it's a very simple show. It's nice. It's it's gentle. Again, it's the key word, I think, for series. It has I mean it's not a part of my childhood, but it still has that nostalgic feel in the sense that I can connect the type of timepiece it is but there's like an episode called the gold rush and all the episodes by mm. the way have explanation points <laughs> which is very exciting it's that kind Love of it. show yeah the gold rush um so i think it's the last season of the first the last episode in the first season i don't remember um it's one of the last ones anyway and it's like Cyril tries to shut down the raccoon's new <laughs> newspaper yep. which we didn't know was a thing until this episode <laughs> <laughs> and um He misses the deadline. Yeah, they're kind of like guerrilla press and shit. Yeah, and so he doesn't get this, you know, big business deal for ink or something. And it turns (laughs) out the reason he didn't is because all the clocks are tempered with years ago, so he could get more work out of his employees, and he just forgot about it. So his entire (laughs) life he's been living, like, slightly in the past or future or whatever. (laughs) And... uh... (laughs) Oh, I vaguely (laughs) remember this. And... It's just stuff like that that I like about the show and it isn't, it's not a big deal, but it's still kind of a funny, <laughs> kind of clever decision that his downfall is his own
0: <laughs> stupid, greedy, capitalistic it's, choice he yeah, made years it's, ago. <laughs> it's a very, like, 80s thing, but kind of having, having like, a, a a sort of a business tycoon as the villain who, want, who wants to, like, turn the rec center into a parking lot. And stuff, yeah, and the kids have to do the break the kids have to win the break dancing competition to to <laughs> save the community center and stuff like that he's He's very much all like of that school <laughs> of antagonist. Sure.
1: another thing that's with the show that i I find interesting, and this is something that happens to me with my kids multiple times, and it's kind of this interesting I think it's really interesting anyway, humbling flesh Hmm reflective experience when it comes to media and stories and stuff that my kids are fairly new as people and they don't have (laughs) the lifetime of you know consuming media and stories like i have so there's an episode of the raccoons where something's going on and Cyril is paranoid and he thinks the raccoons are planning to like drop a weapon on him or something like that (laughs) and i instantly am like oh they're like planning a surprise party or you know Obviously, <laughs> that's yeah. what's going to happen. But my kids were like, you know, they weren't like in the middle of the episode going, what is it, you know, but they're just watching it. And then at the end, of course, it's actually all the secrecy and all this stuff and they're getting this big balloon ready and he thinks it's a big weapon or something. And it's it's for his birthday, you know, happy birthday. Uh, we're throwing a party for you, even though you're like the worst. Um, <laughs> And my kids at the end were like, wow you know like they were impressed like they it was they were yeah. impressed
0: it was like a twist you know and it's just one of those things watching <laughs> i've got a book called batman collected by chip kid which is like a photo uh book of his like collection of batman memorabilia and i think in the foreword i think it's him it's like if not it's whoever wrote the foreword he talks about being a kid and watching the 66 batman movie with his dad <laughs> And it's the part of the movie where Batman is hanging from a rope ladder from a helicopter over the sea. And (laughs) a shark jumps up and begins, like, worrying about a man. Like, I think it's, like, attached to his leg. And it's, like... Yeah, yeah. It's giving him, like, a good chomp. And (laughs) and the guy writing this thing was, like... Because he's watching it as a kid. And, like, he's horrified. He, you know... His hero, (laughs) Batman, is being attacked by a shark... How was he gonna get out of it? And he said, shark and of "His dad is laughing, and he said so he can't understand why his dad is finding this horrible scene funny." And then, as as you know, as you've alluded to, Batman reaches into his utility belt, retrieves an aerosol can which is labeled <laughs> "Bat Shark Repellent." And, which he carries on him at all times, all times, uh, and sprays it on the shark, which then lets go and falls back into the sea, and then I think it explodes. Maybe I don't remember. Um, and he said, like, so he's like, you know, obviously, oh god, he's so relieved that Batman, his hero, has had the foresight to prepare the, you know, he he's so put together as a person, he carries shark repellent with him just in case, you know, <laughs> it's prep time. That's what That's what makes Batman Batman. And he said, his dad is absolutely howling with laughter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a thing I've heard lots of people say. It's like, if you watch the 60s Batman show as a kid, it is this, like, high stakes drama. <laughs> and if you watch it as an artist, you're like, oh, this is the goofiest shit that's ever existed.
1: I, I have experience with that again, because that <laughs> Adam West Batman is Charlie's Batman, that's his favorite. Batman and it's Lee's favorite Batman too. So, like, they'll go down there and they'll put a DVD in and they'll just like marathon whatever episodes are on the DVD. And like, Charlie gets in it. It's not, it's silly and it's goofy, but it's, it's also like, it's more real to him. So, he'll get scared or he'll like worry. You know what's gonna happen? He's like, we got to put the next disc in. We need to see, you know,
0: <laughs> but, you know, Batman how and Robin. Rob- Batman and Robin are tied to a giant typewriter. I can't just go back to my life. I need closure, mother. <laughs> yeah. So it' a really
1: fun thing that I never really considered having kids. Like what <laughs> seeing them see stuff. You know, seeing them experience something, and it's it's very very cool. And it kind of makes me try to step back and not be so instantly critical or you know think I got everything figured out when I'm watching something <laughs> and and it's kind of made it almost easier and more fun to watch stuff because I don't feel like I have to like intellectually parlay with
0: <laughs> and fight with what I'm watching yeah um, I've kind of I, I'm at like that level now where it's just like just let me watch the garbage <laughs> I'm like Oscar, that- I'm Oscar the Grouch sitting in my trash can surrounded by garbage <laughs> going yeah this is pretty fucking boring <laughs> pretty much but that that overall has been a raccoon experience it's been very positive um, um
1: what did what did lee think yeah. of it uh your oh, well, he wasn't falling
0: asleep your, your your gentleman husband what did, what did he <laughs> my, make of my it? my
1: gentleman husband wonderful lee <laughs> um at first he was like i don't want to watch this <laughs> because it's an 80s cartoon. And he just doesn't have... If it's not DuckTales, he just can't really be
0: bothered yeah. for that era of cartoons, I guess. I don't he's, know. Please inform your husband that we are now enemies. I, right? And I'm like, no. And he's like, he's going to be out of gym
1: And that's what made me think, oh, you know, it is kind of like Because <laughs> he doesn't like when I watch Jim Because then he has the theme song stuck in his head for months. Coward. Like, just, just... just Beating him up every single <laughs> day is the gem theme song, which is understandable. There's I can't play one. the Sailor Moon, the English, <laughs> the first one, is truly outrageous, obviously. <laughs> um, and I can't play the Sailor Moon English theme song either because uh, <laughs> that.
2: Moon.
1: Moon. Uh, yeah, can't be done. Um, which is fair because there's other things that he can't play in my presence because I hate it and it <laughs> earworms into my brain and makes me. Want to die, so but I the, understand. Yeah, we the, have an the delicate
0: adjustments that must be made to maintain the equilibrium of a marriage.
1: Yes, exactly, <laughs> and that's fine. Um, but I was like, it's my homework. <laughs> it's like, fine. <boring>. So we <laughs> put it in, and he really likes the design. Like he loves the design. And Lee's favorite character is Sarah Sneer's dog? Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> it's blue. It's a fucking... It it looks like a Serral Sneer and a Blue Meanie, like, combined. (laughs) Yeah,
0: and it's like, does it sound like Mutley? Am I remembering that right? Yeah!
1: (laughs) And, like, it's got really human-looking teeth. Like, it's the creepiest little weird dog thing. And, like, we were watching the show, and I didn't really pay attention to this thing. And then all of a sudden, it's in the background, like, doing it, and Lee's like, who's that? And I'm like what it's like the, the the creepy thing i'm like what oh, the ugh. fuck is that <laughs> yeah and i'm like oh he's like that's ah, my favorite one i like that one like, ugh. He would that's like his thing he like yellow submarine for the way it looks like <laughs> yeah he likes uh anime that's more kind of trippy and weird and <laughs> strange like, so flcl he, he, like, kind of thing <laughs> FLCL yeah he was a big fan of FLCL we watched um Devilman Crybaby he liked the design and choices of that anything from Masayuka actually i actually watch
0: that
1: it's a trip <laughs> it's an
0: experience for sure how, how does it compare with the raccoons
1: a devilman crybaby <laughs> well you
0: know they are absolutely nothing alike <laughs> like i don't even think you could make it a... no like See, have that, to that's, really that's that's the great thing it. you know animation's such a broad church it is um and he I, liked I, design of it. Let's put it that way. I I love the I love the raccoons. It's one of my favorite shows, and I love, you know, its aesthetic of like, you know, the paintings of this like f- forest, just like stretching away to the horizon. Again, it's kind of like what we talked about earlier of like wanting to go to a fictional place. It's like, yeah, yeah, and then it's like I could just go to Canada and go to like a national park. <laughs> True. The thing that the thing that the show is set in, There probably isn't going to be like this like creepy ass gothic like Ravenloft mansion with an aardvark in it in the middle of the forest maybe I don't know I've never uh, been to Canada I don't know I've, I haven't been deep into Canada so I don't know i been on the outskirts <laughs> we don't have enough intel to yeah. say definitively one way or the other but um I'm, I'm really glad that you like the raccoons um I'm glad that you, I'm glad that your kids liked it sorry uh Lee didn't so much no
1: he he. It was relaxing enough that he could fall asleep. Let's put it that way. It didn't annoy <laughs> him where he like had to sit up and watch it. So that's a good sign, honestly. <laughs>
0: um, yeah. So uh, and as we mentioned earlier, uh, it was announced. Uh, I think like I think yesterday or the day Oh before, my god! Yeah, there's a new raccoons in the office special. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. be twenty minutes. Um, I didn't of... recognize the studio. It's a uh, big jump, big jump entertainment. Je- uh, dec- it's a jetpack distribution and run with us productions, which I like because that's yeah. the song. Um, uh, here's the thing: it says, "Get ready to return to the evergreen forest." The 1980s worldwide hit, "The Raccoons," is back and destined to attract a brand new fan base while hitting the happy nostalgia button of the original audience. These <sighs> motherfuckers have clearly never been on the internet ever. <sighs> We are. We are. Do you remember that like week where people were angry about Thundercats Raw and people oh pretending to God, give they shit were about Thundercats?
1: Super mad. Thundercats Raw. Like looks people I didn't great, know had any opi- have any opinions about Thundercats at all um... coming out of the woodwork to tell me about Thundercats. I'm like, do you know how many versions of Thundercats there have been <laughs> and you haven't given a shit?
0: Like honestly, um, the familiar faces are back, led by the enthusiastic, adventure-seeking Burt Raccoon. Join aardvark best friend Cedric and raccoon pals Ralph and Melissa as they navigate Bert's carefree attitude, all while staying on top of the scheming tycoon, aardvark businessman Cyril Sneer. (laughs) And they've kind of... You know, it's kind of had an... uh, It's got a bit of a redesign. Uh, I don't don't know... That's the thing. I don't know what CalArt's style is, and I'm reliably (laughs) informed that it's bullshit and doesn't actually exist, but I'm pretty sure if someone who doesn't like that kind of thing, looks at it. Like, I think whoever doesn't like Thundercats Raw is going to look at this and be like, no, nah, it's fucking shit, One, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's
1: the same thing as when Teen Titans came out and had an anime look, and, and then everyone had, like, an anime look for a
0: while, and everyone peed yeah. themselves. It's <laughs> that, but with and big eyes Teen and jelly bean limbs. Then, like, and then Teen Titans Go came out, and everyone lost their fucking minds. Um... <laughs> that's what's so funny is that I'm a... like, do you not remember how
1: long and hard you cry baby whined about how <laughs> old teen titans looked <laughs> and now you got the new teen titans and you're cry baby whining that it's goofy
0: and they look now how the they look I, like I don't get what do you want now Chris you can't expect babies to have object permanence that's true um but yeah so raccoons is coming back apparently it's the deal special it's gonna be uh, it's coming out next year yeah and it's Um, got my girl
1: in it Sophia Tutu (laughs) I'm saying her name as much as possible because it's really fun like I 100% understand why they named her that
0: the design for Melissa is they've made her a bit she's they've made her a bit less raccoon shaped and the kind she's got this like sort of she's got some dainty feet
1: happening here
0: if I had to describe the overall like visual effect I'd say she, she looks a bit like an Animal Crossing character now (laughs) <laughs> She's a little stumpy, yeah. Huh? Yeah, that's that's the thing, you know. I, I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna enjoy it. It's probably gonna be we- it's probably gonna be, be like different people doing the voices, which is gonna be weird. I would
1: imagine, um, but yeah, because
0: you know, I've I've seen a few like revivals and continuations of cartoons that I liked when I was a kid, and it's all different voices, and it's like it's like this, you know, audible uncanny valley, but. um Oh, like, my
1: God. When the new English cast came out for Sailor Moon and Luna talked for the first time, I, c- I had to hit pause and, like, stand up because it was so <laughs> it was so jarring. It was <sighs> disastrously jarring. And eventually I worked through it. But, she like, I was like, holy she, crap.
0: She doesn't sound like Angela Lansbury. What the fuck is yeah! this?
1: No, I was, like, ready because I knew who the voice actress was. I knew they were like, we're going to, you know, cast it and act in original manor not the deacon one. And i was like cool finally but i was not prepared for like the dissonance of hearing <laughs> that voice come out of that cat i was like what the fuck <laughs> I just snapped the space bar real quick anyway <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah i'm extremely looking forward to the raccoon revival and and now it's you know and now it's a thing that you'll you'll give a shit about i know I i tricked you I, I I told my kids I,
1: like, I did
0: a I did a trick on you. I didn't even know I was doing it, but I did it. See, <laughs> you
2: know,
0: this would have just come cool. out, and you would have just gone, "What's that? Some weird raccoon show? I don't know, Craig of the Creek? What?" And now it's like, "Oh, that's a thing that I'm familiar with and give a shit about." Yes,
1: it's good. We took four weeks to <laughs> order.
0: That was Part my two. my plan all along. It was. Um, Master plan. It wasn't. I I don't have the necessary <laughs> wherewithal so I I can't oh. fucking I can't plan dinner, let alone that you know a scheme with that many moving parts. Oh my god. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm glad that you like the raccoons. Um, Love. Yeah. What what did what did you think? What did you think of the music? I really like the music. Like like I'm not. Oh, I liked it for the time. Like I enjoyed have the music. You, I I liked it. Have you seen the music video for Run with Us? The, the no, I have not. I recommend you looking that up because it's. Um, have did you ever did you ever watch How I Met Your Mother? Mm, no,
1: but I think I know what you're alluding to. Yeah, there's
0: there's a character in that called Robin who's Canadian and it like. Yeah. there's an episode where they find out she was like a teen pop star in Canada. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And they watch her music video. Um, imagine that kind of like, but set at night. It's it's very <laughs> like. It's it's the most '80s thing in the world, and I am very excited. I I I don't I don't own a record player, but I want to find the vinyl of the soundtrack of the Raccoons (laughs) because like because they did release it, or maybe like a cassette if I'm lucky. But (laughs) I I love the music in the Raccoons. It's like that's kind of you know I love like that kind of synthy yeah kind of uh it it's like a combination of the Raccoons. And the orchestral score of uh the Transformers movie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I um, I liked it. I really did. And I and Charlie liked it a lot. Buster, you know, I don't know how much registered, but <laughs> or Buster would tell um, me.
0: Yeah, and like a the sort of last bit of trivia that I'll give you is there's a movie starring Rutger Hauer that came out a few years ago. Uh and I was what I was watching it uh I watched it at my friend's house. Uh, there was a few of us there. Like you know, we we did a thing. Like we watched a movie, and we had some pizza, and we were watching this film. Um, it's it's called Hobo with a Shotgun. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, and I know it. The, the story is also all of the title. Um, he's you know, it's it's kind of it's a bit like a Death Wish thing. It's 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 like a deliberate stylistic throwback to eighties films like Death Wish. Uh, yeah. there's like this town and it's corrupt, and there's like one righteous man in this case who happens to be a homeless man. And at the end of the film, he goes on this, like, rampage with, with a shotgun. Someone is, like... One of the bad guys is being, like, stuffed in a manhole in the street and having his head cut off by a car and stuff. And it's, like, this gory, like, explo- <laughs> like exploitative, you know... It's like in, like in Robocop when the dude gets hit by the car and he bursts. You know, <laughs> it's, like... It's yeah. that level of stuff. And we watch this film and it's, like, it's the most what-the-fuck thing ever. But... We watched the film, and it finishes, and we were like, okay, and the end credits start playing, and the song that plays on the end credits is Run With Us by Lisa <laughs> Loheed And we immediately just, t- like, slowly just rotated to look at each other and was like, oh, please tell me that you are also hearing the end credits song for the raccoons. Like, yes, I am also hearing that. What the fuck? It was, we, it was one of those things, you know, you know when you laugh so hard that you're worried you're gonna, you're gonna be sick? Yeah, it's like it was just so unexpected. It's that's you know... so funny because I've seen that movie, but I couldn't make that connection at the time. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I, it's I just it just so... that movie wasn't like stand out to me. So I, i it's just like it's ah. it,
0: it's just if you don't know it, it's a very eighty sounding song. But if you watched the raccoons as a kid, it's it's deep. It's in there. It's embedded in your head, like the you... like brain slugs from Wrath of Khan. You know? Do you
1: think? Do you think it was intentional? Like you could, I don't know
0: if you could. Like, was it just a movie song they could pay for? That's the thing. I hope it was. It's. I hope it was because that's an amazing pull. The the movie is so '80s that I kind of think it had to be intentional. But I don't want to find out in case it turns out it wasn't. I would rather live in a world where I just assume that they were like, "What's the most '80s song you can think of?" Uh, The end credit song of the Raccoons. Fine, we'll get the rights. (laughs) So there's a bit of movie trivia for you. Uh yeah, that was that's probably the biggest, like that's the most what the fuck moment I've ever had watching a film. Like no no twist in a film has ever been anything like as comparable as watching the end of Hobo with a shotgun and then suddenly the themes the, the end credits theme from The Raccoon starts playing. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, if I ever made a movie and had to pick a song for the end credits, I probably also would pick Run With Us by Lisa Loheed, so <laughs> I can't really criticize them. No matter what the film is about. I could make like, you know, if I directed a production of like Pride and Prejudice, if I directed a film of that, the end credits song would be run with us. <laughs> so uh I'll yeah. Do. So there was a bit there's a bit of a wait. Um hopefully won't have as much a wait until the next time we do this, but sometimes real life happens and we can't, you know we like we live in like completely different time zones. So, yeah, you know. Also that. It's now quarter to four in the morning for me. So, yeah. you know, this is kind of, it's the, like, it's the nature of the beast. We have to, like, we, we basically do this whenever we can fit it in. You know, Christy has a very busy life, you know, being a parent and, yeah. you know, working in like, all of her <laughs> like, projects and stuff. And I, anyway, um, so, <laughs> so this has been The Wreckers we've been talking about the fifth season by N.K. Jemisin the first book in the Broken Earth trilogy <laughs> uh, and we've also been talking about The Raccoons um, mm. this t- terrible but charming um, cartoon <laughs> from the 1980s I, that's the thing it's not actually terrible it's just it's it's <sighs> you, know, you know when people are like like oh the cartoons that we had when we were kids were really good and it's like mm, they weren't really they were mostly shit it's just you were a kid and you yeah. didn't know what was good and now and you haven't seen it in years it's like if you watch he-man now it's absolute dog <laughs> shit you know which which i thought at the time because i was a very advanced child um but you know the raccoons is one of the only cartoons from when i was a kid where i watched it as an adult and went this is actually quite good yeah it
1: it holds up in an interesting way and i think it's just cuz it's fairly simple yeah you it's... know it's kind of it's kind of that. Ducktailsy thing where it's adventure and yeah. you know, it
0: wraps up and it's got good songs and characters that are easy to understand yeah. and remember. Um and... I used to, uh, a bit of a confession. Um I like for, for many like, you know, I like just after I left school and for for about sort of five, like five to seven years after I left school, uh I lived by myself and uh I used to drink quite heavily. <laughs> um just because <laughs> You know, I had a lot to blot out. Uh, I wasn't having a great time in my life. I used to drink quite heavily, so I used, uh, especially that's the thing. I didn't, I wouldn't go out, but I would get very drunk on a Saturday night, and I would always wake up on Sunday morning feeling absolutely terrible. And I would watch the raccoons. <laughs> that was like my, hung, it's like my hungover viewing. Is <laughs> like I need something, you know, nice and soft and pleasant. <laughs> That,
1: everyone has their thing. Everyone's um, got their hangover. It's a,
0: it's it was either recovery show. It was either the raccoons or Takeshi's Castle, <laughs> which, if you don't know, is a Japanese game show about people um, falling off bridges and <sighs> you know wrestling giant baseball players. I don't know how you begin to describe. <laughs> it's basically right. Imagine Takeshi. Imagine in, in general. Imagine Super Mario as a larp. And it's on TV in Japan. That's what Takeshi's Castle is. But it's really charming because, like, people (laughs) like they interview people, like they give it their all. They really go for it. It's it's amazing. I think the last episode, in my opinion, the last episode I watched, there was a guy. He was like, he was like a station master of a railway station, and he was like wearing his full uniform, and he like tried to like run across like stepping stones on a lake, and he just absolutely ate shit into the water in this like pristine uniform. And I was like, oh mate. But yeah, the raccoons or Takeshi's Castle—that was my hungover overviewing. So, uh, <laughs> so um, hope you've enjoyed listening to us talk about two. I, you know, we we often this of, is the biggest gap we have. Yeah, so we we often talk about like quite disparate things, but you know, often we'll be able to find you know at least one strand of connectivity between the two. Th- this time, nope. no, no, absolutely nothing. You know, that can happen. Two things that are That's brilliant <laughs> in their own but completely separate ways it's like because the raccoons has a kind of like very low-key like environmental message and there is a little bit of that in the broken earth (laughs) mostly it's the world is terrifying and hates you like the planet the actual geological planet hates you and wants you dead (laughs) so (laughs) even that is quite conflicting as i say i hope you've enjoyed uh listening to that uh we'll be back again hopefully quite soon but no promises um so once again i've been matty and i've been joined by christy and this is the show that we do and we hope you have enjoyed it and goodbye aloha